0: Hi, thanks for joining me today. I'm your host, Howard Unger, and the pharmacist is in. Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining me. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody had a fantastic group of holidays, and we're looking forward to the new year. I'd like to begin this episode with a brief discussion on what are the differences between prescription medications and non-prescription medications, or what we call over-the-counter medications, from a standpoint of the FDA. And the reason why I want to go through this is there are going to be episodes in the future concerning medications that don't require prescriptions, and we need to know how does one get a medication, or what does a medication have to do to be non-prescription, and how does the FDA look at that, and what are the requirements that the FDA has for both prescription and non prescription. So, let me ge- begin uh, with um, prescription medications. Generally, it takes about 10 years for a medication uh, to become what we call a legend medication uh, available to the public. It takes about 10 years from the time of being uh, in a pharmaceutical company's lab tabletop to being at a pharmacy, available at a pharmacy or on a pharmacy shelf. During those 10 years, and we call those 10 years the medication or drug pipeline, the pharmaceutical company has to provide and has to do extremely rigorous testing on the chemical nature of the new drug, safety and effectiveness testing, various phase clinical trials. All of this has to um, be submitted during those 10 years to the FDA to be reviewed by an expert panel to make sure that the pharmaceutical company is manufacturing this properly, that the test data proves or shows uh, levels of safety and effectiveness and uh, stability of a chemical. Uh, This is all very, very detailed, very involved reporting. Finally, after the 10 years, the pharmaceutical company brings all of this information, gathers it all up, presents it to the FDA for an advisory panel, and the advisory panel is made up of a number of Experts in that field that this drug is going to be treating, and they decide whether or not the drug is approved. And once approved, it goes to commercialization, goes to the pharmacy shelves. And even after that, there is continuous monitoring of the medication for safety and effectiveness. And any issues that come up uh, after that, they can uh, investigate. With non prescription medications or over the counter medications, None of this occurs. The FDA understands the value of over-the-counter medications and how it plays within our health system. Uh, the FDA basically says over-the-counter medications or non-prescription medications are safe and effective for the general public without having to have to go to a health care provider. So they know that self-medication in this country is rather important. And currently, accordingly to the latest FDA bulletin on their website, of which all of this information will be in the show notes and links to that website, there are over 300,000 individual over-the-counter non-prescription medications available to the American public. So how does the FDA take this huge number of individual products and oversees it? Well, what they do is they break all of these different medications into 80, what what we call 80 therapeutic classes. So, what's a therapeutic class? A therapeutic class is a title or a or a, uh, a title given to a group of medications in what they treat. So, a therapeutic class would be analgesics, which are for to treat pain medications. A therapeutic class would be antitussives, which would be used to treat cough. Another therapeutic class is uh, de- nasal decongestants. Uh, obviously taking care of stuffy noses. So what they do is they take and break break these medications into 80 therapeutic classes of what they treat and then write a kind of a recipe or guidelines for manufacturers of over-the-counter products to follow indicating what they feel is safe and effective for their medications and how they should be, what ingredients they should have, in it and what strengths they should have in it and what the label should say on the package. That's about it. So if you're a manufacturer of a medication, cough medication, you would get this paper specifically for that cough medication or specifically for cough medications and see what the FDA uses as a guide to manufacture this. There's no submission of any testing. There's no submission of any safety or an effective testing uh, of these uh, medications. There's no submission on how you manufactured it. There's no FDA inspectors coming to your uh, company and looking at your manufacturing plant. Uh, What you do submit to the FDA is the label. And uh, because, you know, they don't want somebody putting on a label, hey, this cures cancer. Uh, so it has to have uh, it has to have some type of approval of what that label says and how it's designed and what it lists as ingredients and that's the difference really between prescription and non-prescription medications in terms of how the FDA views it. Now this does not mean that manufacturers of over-the-counter products that it's it's wrong or right. It's an expedient way because the FDA could not possibly check and test and review over 300,000 individual medications and products. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention because it is important in some of the subjects that we're going to be talking about in future episodes, that understanding of how the FDA oversees over-the-counter products, uh, how it breaks it down into the 80 different therapeutic classes and gives Suggested guidelines, recipes to these manufacturers of what should be included in this particular medication. So, with that said, we're going into the winter months, and uh, I'd like to talk about nasal decongestants, which are probably one of the most purchased over the counter medication or non prescription medication during these seasonal months. And um, there are things that you need to know about nasal decongestants, as, as well as other over-the-counter products, because you're not going to a healthcare provi- a professional healthcare provider that can look over and decide what he or she may prescribe. So, nasal decongestants, treating stuffy noses. What is a stuffy nose? Generally, what occurs is there's some type of irritant, whether it be a bacteria, a virus, whether your allergies are going up to like hay fever, pollen, animal allergies what occurs is there's an irritation in the lining of your nose. And the body reacts by sending blood to that area, the lining of your nose, to fight off that irritation and infection. And what occurs here is the blood vessels in your nose start to enlarge. They get swollen, as well as the lining of your nose gets swollen. What this does is it decreases the passageway, the breathing passageway, in your nose and you start to get difficulty in breathing. Treating stuffy noses can be important because what can occur is if it's severe enough, you can't get rid of the mucus in your sinuses, which are located cheek area and in the forehead area. And because of that, this area can become infected and get what we call sinusitis. So, opening up your sinuses with a nasal decongestant, opening up your nasal passageways, allows the drainage of mucus from these sinuses out and will prevent or help prevent uh, infections in your sinuses. What I'd like to do is talk about a couple of home remedies that you can try before you go to an actual over the counter nasal decongestant. One of them is inhaling a warm water vapor. Now, why this is important and what this does. And you can do this by placing a towel over your head and breathing in warm water vapor in a bowl. You can do this by going into a shower and breathing in that warm water vapor. Two things occur. First, the warmth is a soothing mechanism for the inner lining of the nose. So it decreases some of the inflammation. Also, it keeps the inner lining of the the nose moist. If the inner lining of the nose starts to become dry, it can cause further irritation and then it causes further swelling. So that's the theory and that's the practice behind inhaling warm water vapor, also applying warm uh, warm compresses on the face and around the nose and eyes. The warmth again is a soothing mechanism reducing inflammation of the uh, lining of the nose. Important to drink plenty of fluids. This is something that we should be doing no matter what, but Drinking plenty of fluids, especially water, and I assume the the water is really what we should be drinking, what this does is it reduces the viscosity or it dilutes the mucus in your sinuses so that they can discharge, they can drain. Uh, Even if you have a narrowed passageway, any kind of drainage is important. When you concentrate mucus, it becomes very thick and it can't go through a narrowed nasal passageway. So if you continually drink water uh, and dilute it, or fluids, dilute it, it can now, it breaks up, becomes less thick, and would be able to drain, which is important to prevent any potential of sinusitis or an infection in the sinuses. You can use nasal spray. You can buy that over the counter. Again, this is to keep the inner lining of the nose Uh, moist so it doesn't dry out and cause further inflammation. So these are home remedies that you can try prior to going to uh, purchasing or getting an over-the-counter medication nasal decongestant. So how do nasal decongestants work? What they do is they cause the blood vessels in the lining of the nose to constrict or to narrow and therefore opening up the nasal passageways. This is the method or mechanism of action of nasal decongestants. Now, the nasal decongestants do come in a variety of different formulations. They come in pill, tablets, spray and liquids, capsules, but they all work the same way by affecting the blood vessels in the lining of the nose and constricting them, therefore opening up the nasal passageways, allowing you to breathe easier, be more comfortable, and allowing the mucus to drain. In my show notes, I'll have a list of the active ingredients, the more common uh, nasal decongestants. There's only one that really stands out that there are certain precautions that the government has taken, and that is pseudophedrine. pseudophedrine uh, which was the trade name, pseudophedrine was unfortunately used in uh, or is used in the manufacture of illicit drugs. So they've taken that particular decongestant. And put it behind the pharmacist's counter. So if that's something you're looking for, you actually would have to go to the pharmacist, get it dispensed from from them. And there's a procedure that they have to control the amount of Sudafed being dispensed to uh, an individual. So let's talk a little bit about the formulations. Uh, Again, it it can come in a pill form, capsule form. It can come in a liquid form. Uh, It can come as a nasal spray or a nasal drop. A few points I want to make about these formulations. First, if you're using a nasal spray, I want you to understand that even though it may be more local, you're not taking it orally like a liquid or a pill, which has to be absorbed and hits a number of our systems in our body. That doesn't mean that it does not have what we call a systemic effect. In essence, affects other parts of our body. So just because it's a nasal spray or nasal dropper and it's going directly to the area that you want to basically have it work on doesn't mean that it doesn't affect other areas of your body the other thing about liquids and this goes for any over-the-counter product if the liquid comes with a spoon or has a measuring cap please use that spoon or measuring cap you can't substitute that spoon with let's say a kitchen spoon all of those Materials of measuring. All of those, all of the products that come with measuring devices, spoon or measuring cap, are designed by the manufacturer to give you the correct dosage. So, substituting anything other than what was given with that particular liquid, you could be overdosing or underdosing uh, that with that medication. So, keep that in mind and always keep those measuring devices with that particular medication. Now, some of the side effects, uh, common side effects with, these, uh, with uh, uh, nasal decongestants are uh, a nervousness, some dizziness, maybe some sleeping uh, problems, some heart palpitations. Those are the general, some of the side effects, the more con- common side effects that you have with nasal decongestants. Therefore, it would be best not to use them just prior to bedtime, also to cut down on some of the um, coffees, the teas, anything that has a stimulant in it, like caffeine. This would also reduce some of the side effects added on to using a nasal decongestant. In terms of what you should be aware of treating, uh, treating yourself if you should have a chronic condition, the first is high blood pressure. High blood pressure, part of the reason for high blood pressure is the narrowing of blood vessels, and that creates more workload for the heart, and the heart has to generate a higher pressure, and therefore you get high blood pressure. Well, what these nasal decongestants do is narrow blood vessels, so they can affect your blood pressure very easily. It's important that you contact your healthcare provider, let them know that your problem with a stuffed-up nose that is it okay if they take a nasal decongestant. Another chronic condition that you need to make sure that your healthcare provider knows that you're going to be taking a nasal decongestant is diabetes. Glaucoma is another, that if you have glaucoma, make sure that your healthcare provider is informed that you're looking to take a nasal decongestant. Thyroid problems are another concern, as well as if you have a prostate problem. These are the kinds of things you have to be aware of when taking over-the-counter medications and self-medicating. It's not a good idea to treat children younger than six with nasal decongestants, so be aware of that. Regarding drug interactions, this is, again, something that there are a number of drug interactions that can occur with nasal decongestants. First, before using it, talk to or contact your healthcare professional. Also speak to the pharmacist. Letting them know that you're thinking on taking this, uh, and they can look at your drug medication profile and find out if there are any drug interactions. In terms of food, other than caffeine or caffeine-containing drinks, there really is no drug interaction with food. You want to limit the amount of caffeinated drinks that you have uh, that you're planning on taking. As with any of these side effects, if they continue, if they're persistent, please contact your healthcare provider immediately, let them know, especially if you're starting to get heart palpitations, dizziness, weakness in any way, heartburn, dry mouth, please contact your um, health care provider. So let's recap on nasal decongestants as a over-the-counter non-prescription medication. Nasal decongestants are used to treat stuffed-up noses. Stuffed-up noses are usually caused by some type of irritation. It can be the cold, it can be the flu, it can be an allergy. And what occurs is the nasal lining, the lining of the nose, gets inflamed and irritated. The blood, the body sends blood to the nose. The blood vessels get larger, uh, swell up. The lining swells up closing the nasal passageway, therefore making it difficult to breathe, also making it difficult for mucus to uh, drain from the nose and out. This could lead to potentially sinusitis, which is an infection of the sinuses, which would then have to be treated in other ways. With the nasal decongestant, what it does is it basically narrows the blood vessels or constricts the blood vessels thereby opening up the nasal passageways, making it easier to breathe, and making it easier to, uh, for mucus to drain. The medication comes in a variety of different forms. It comes in pill form. It comes in liquid form. comes in capsule form. It has spray and dropper. All of these can affect the body as a whole. So just because it's a spray or a dropper, a nasal dropper, doesn't mean that it won't affect the entire body. So there can be a systemic effect with them all. The general side effects are nervousness, restlessness, uh, difficulty sleeping. So it's important probably not to take this medication prior to bedtime. Also, it's important in terms of dietary to reduce or eliminate for a period of time any any caffeinated drinks regarding chronic conditions if you should have them. Prior to taking any nasal decongestant, if you have high blood pressure, glaucoma, diabetes, if you have a thyroid condition, if you have a prostate condition, you should be contacting your healthcare provider prior to taking all, any of this medic, any type of nasal decongestant, any of the medications that are considered nasal decongestants, because they can aggravate that particular condition. What you can try to do is do the home remedies. The inhaling of water, warm water vapor, uh, the use of a nasal saline, uh, a normal saline spray. Bo- spray. You should be drinking plenty of fluid to reduce the viscosity or dilute the mucus so it can drain easier. These are all tips and recommendations if you don't want to go to using that of a nasal decongestant. As with any medication over-the-counter, please read the label. Do not assume that one nasal decongestant is the same as the other. Therefore, uh, these different products or these different medications made by different companies, they work the same, so it's the same dosage. And with dosage, if you're using any kind of liquid dosage, and that even means dropper, because droppers are calibrated. If the liquid comes with some type of calibrated measuring device, use that calibrated measuring device with that specific medication don't substitute it with other medications and don't substitute it with if it says a spoonful you take the a kitchen spoon you could be overdosing or underdosing yourself with that medication in my show notes i'll have a whole list of the active ingredients, as well as all the links and resources I've used for this particular episode. I'll also have directions on how to properly use a nasal spray. There is a technique to get the uh, more effective use out of a nasal spray. So that's going to be available to you. I hope this information has been helpful for you. I hope that now you have a better understanding about What a prescription medication is and what a non prescription or an over the counter medication is. And next week we'll be discussing cold preparations. So until next week, thank you very much, be healthy, and be medication smart. This has been the Pharmacist Is In podcast, hosted by Howard Unger. If you like what you heard, please click on the subscribe button. And if you feel so, leave comments in the star rating below. It really helps the podcast in gaining greater exposure to larger audiences, and why not? This is important information. I would like to mention I have no affiliation with any pharmaceutical company or medical institution, nor do I represent any product, product line, or corporate pharmacy entities. Please remember that this podcast is not a substitute for your healthcare provider. If you should have any questions concerning diagnosis or treatment, contact your trusted healthcare provider. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join me next week for the Pharmacist is In podcast. Remember, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay medication smart.